Alrighty, well we left off about halfway through chapter 4. Um, so we were talking about the ark and the, the value of the ark, what the, what the ark is and all of that. But yeah, bottom line is the ark was believed to be the actual presence of God. That wasn't like, you know, a symbol of that. I mean, they literally thought this was the presence of God. So they're trying to think now after this second defeat and the ark is captured and taken away by the Philistines. You remember, good. So they have it and the, the, the Israelites are just sitting around scratching their heads. What, how could... That was God. How could God allow this to happen? How could he allow himself to be captured in such a way as this? So it, it makes no sense, but they eventually get it back then. They lose it again. But they made once the temple was built, they made a place. How to do? Good to see you. They, they made a place in the temple, kind of off to the left in a corner, and just a, literally a closet-sized room. Just something like four feet wide, six feet deep. That little closet. That's all it was. And that's where they put this most sacred emblem of the Jewish faith. The presence of God they put in that room and put a curtain in front of it. Now you would think they would put like, yeah, a metal metal door, you know, many locks, you know, and, and the whole nine yards. But they just put a curtain. That's what God told them to do. A curtain that, that at least visually separated the people from, from God. So the symbolism then is uh, the, the moment Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain is torn in two from top to bottom. And as if you were to, don't go home and try this, guys. And, you know, women, I know you won't do it, but guy, guys are going to want to go home and try it. You know, if you cut a curtain and just... Yeah, if it was just hanging there all nice, you cut it, it's going to separate. It'll, it'll kind of fall apart. It'll, it'll go opposite directions. And so that's the symbolism of that curtain being torn in two the second Jesus dies. God is now revealed. You're not keeping me behind this barrier anymore. I'm making my, my home with you. I will dwell with you. I'll pitch my tent with you. So, yeah, really powerful stuff. So, I, I can't, in the Jewish mindset, I cannot overemphasize the importance of this ark. That was it for them. Having said that, it's obvious they really don't know what the ark is all about. <laughs> right? They kind of let that, that, that importance, that meaning, go by the wayside until they lose it. But up until then, Virtually nothing. Because, yeah, here's the problem with this story. This, this, these two wars, these two battles that they, 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 they got into. And, again, the parallel with us today, we really haven't changed that much. We, we expect God, they expected God, to do what we want. The Israelites expected God to do what they want. Stay in the box till we need you. <laughs> and that won't get you out and parade you around. So uh, I, I just imagine the, the conversation among these the leaders in, in Israel. First battle, what, they lost a couple thousand. And then somebody says, what about that orc thing? Remember that? 
No, we, we forgot the first time, but now we expect God to do what we want him to do. So let's get it out, let's use it, let's put it into battle and see what happens. We will force God to do our will and our bidding. Great plan. Next battle, lost 40,000. <laughs> you know, like a tenfold, twentyfold, you know, worse battle. They lost a ton of soldiers on, on that day. Now, hopefully you have sense from the culture around us that really don't understand who God is. That's what people do that don't understand what, who God is. Since I don't understand what God is all about, I get to create God's job description. And so what I want God to do is I want God to fix stuff when I break it. Have you met people like that? That say almost in those words. <laughs> I mean, that's their understanding of God. God is literally a genie in the bottle, and you only get them out when you need them, but you have infinite number of wishes with this genie. That's putting you ahead of God because you're using him as your uh, fixer-upper. Precisely. You're but you're, 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 you're extorting and you're manipulating God. And that's exactly what these Israelites did by now finally pulling out the weapon and pulling that into battle and forcing God's hand. They didn't ask God, do you want us to use you in battle? They just assumed. Here's our genie in a bottle. We're going to take him into battle and he will win the battle for us. Oh, God says, nah, I'm taking a day off. You're on your own. I mean, you, you hear that, that, that philosophy, that mentality as, as people pray. Listen carefully. Yeah. I prayed to God to heal my family member, and he died. Why would God do that? What kind of God is this anyway that doesn't listen to me and do everything at my bidding? How dare he? I don't believe in this God anymore. Because he wouldn't do what I wanted him to do. You see, the ark is not some magic wand that we are to get out. But that's exactly what a culture of people not understanding who God is, forgotten, willfully forgotten who God is, and instead substituted their own understanding of God. Remember our quote, everyone did as he saw fit. That's what I see fit. I will change this true religion into what I want it to be and thus just make it idol worship. That's all it is. In their mindset, the way they were conducting themselves was exactly no different than the heathen cultures around them with their religions. And we're going to see evidence of that in chapter 5 with this God Dagon. Just bizarre but you now it's important to keep in mind they knew there was power did you notice the Philistines <laughs> knew there was power there as well right they I, they I think knew it better than the Israelites did so when it comes to to get a chance to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark last week right you know go watch it again what that's 20 25 years the movie's been a long time. We're really getting old. Right? So, I mean, but an excellent, excellent movie. And, and exactly what we're talking about here. 
The Germans, you should boo them as well. Because uh, they love David Hassel offense. Old German. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for getting that. Uh, they viewed the Ark the exact same way. If we get this, we can take this into battle and we will win every battle. Well, that's a really bad understanding of who God is. So the big question is, I'm going to force you to get a headache tonight. Here's the question. Even though everyone knew it was God now leading his people into battle, why does God allow the Israelites to lose the battle? And worse yet, why does God allow himself to be captured? Why would God do that? What's the point? That they can't make God do anything. Okay. So especially when you don't consult me, you have no right to force me to do what I never intended to do to start with. Is God ultimately saying that my will be done? Not yours? I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> yes is the right answer, right? But you see, you see how that changes our prayer life? When our premise is, when our, our, our foundation is, God, your will be done. That changes everything. I, I, I have actually heard prayers where people flippantly throw that in at the end. They just had a long laundry list of telling God what to do and then say, yeah, well, your will be done. <laughs> but it needs to start there. Your will be done. So what's God trying to accomplish? What, what's the message to the Israelites by allowing himself to be captured? Do you think it's also too almost like a shift of priorities? I mean, they viewed you. No one really... I mean, there's a second thought in the beginning, so it's not really of high, you know, obviously, as you said, they're not really thinking about it. Is it one of those that they don't realize what they have to what's gone type thing? I'm, I'm sure that's a lot of it, yes. Almost like a prior, you know... Almost like a little kid, you know, who has something and they, they have it, but then when they see another kid playing with it, then all of a sudden it's like a whole new thing again, you know. We see Eli's reaction. Yes, I mean, I think it right? was an eye opener almost. Maybe. And and the new grandson, named the glory of God has left us. Um, yeah, after it's gone, oh, gee, you know, now we we really really miss that. So. What is God saying to the Israelites by allowing himself to be captured? Because in their wildest dreams, they never would have thought that could have happened. Is he trying to tell them that he might as well be with the Philistines because they're not worship, worshiping him any better than the Philistines? I'm, I'm sure there's a component of that in there. <laughs> it's, you know, I'm just as good over here as I was with y'all. and Hey, um, yeah. What, what else do you think God's, God's saying in that? Good. It took care of the priests that weren't following his will. Okay. If the but, Hebrews weren't going to do something about it, God let something happen. They're basically out of a job at this point. And life. Yeah. Well. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Oh. What other thoughts do you have? Control and free will. They Say some up, more. They made up their own mind to force God's hand without consulting him. 
Therefore, he's going to allow them to continue to do that until they come to the realization that they were wrong for doing so. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in chapter 5 because, yeah, that, that starts to come into play at that point. That all of a sudden now, you know, God in his patience allows them to screw up that bad. I mean, this is bad. I mean, this is really bad. But nonetheless, when they're ready to repent and come back, there's God. Okay, let's, let's try this again, shall we? And let's get it right this time for a change. Right? So that seems to be God's heart in this matter. Yeah. What you're doing is wrong, and you and I are not going to be right until you fix this. <laughs> but, again, our understanding of God is that's God's prerogative to do that. We don't get to tell God what, what to do. I know you would like to. <laughs> Wouldn't it be fun? God the genie in a bottle. That would be awesome. I mean, even if you only had three wishes your entire life. That would be way cool, right? It'd be amazing. Yeah, I imagine we'd all be millionaires, and so if everybody's a millionaire, then that's all relative. So we're, we're all dirt poor. <laughs> see, see how that works? If you let us do that, right? We're we're gonna we're gonna muck this up really bad, really bad. And by the same token, that's why none of us knows when we're going to die. Yeah, imagine the consequence of that. Be ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, just be unbelievable. Well, that's why God said, I, I got that. That's, that's me. But that's why God is so against uh, the, the Bible often refers to it as magic arts. The, you know, the occult, uh, you know, palm reading and tarot cards and, and, and Ouija boards and all that because the goal is to discover the future. What do you have for me tomorrow? What's tomorrow's winning lottery numbers? Um, those kind of things. Yeah, is, yeah. Am I going to live a long life? Am I gonna, yeah, but, uh, yeah. You're always. If you're looking for that, that's a complete denial of God. God's in control of your life and tomorrow. So if you need to know that, then you're breaking the first commandment. You have simply replaced God with yourself. And God's, as we can see here, God says, "Have at it." You take me into battle all you want, but I ain't doing nothing for you. No faith in God if you have to know what tomorrow's Precisely. That's the definition of faith. Faith is, is not knowing, but still trusting yes. in, the, in the author of the promise, you see. That's what faith is. It's actually not seeing it. Again, you know, one of the greatest examples is Abraham. Go 500 miles from here to there. That's it? <laughs> What's going to happen? <laughs> Give me anything? Nope. Just do it. Okay. Remember when we studied Hebrews. You know, Abraham was lifted up as the, and Romans as well, uh, you know, as the, the model, the example of that. Who does that? I mean, you and I would struggle with that. Just be honest. But he... He could see God at work and trusted God enough to say, as long as you're with me, Lord, I don't care what's on the other side. I'm just willing to go. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. So God is responding to just 
the whole nation of Israel at that point. A wickedness and evil, a uh, not just wickedness and evil, wickedness and evil in the religious order and the military order, which are two pretty important things, right? They were the worst. So God says, you do whatever you want. I'm not going to stop you from carrying me into battle, but I, I ain't helping you. You're, you're on your own. But now let me ask you an even bigger question. What should the Israelites have done after that first defeat? What kind of prayer? I'm looking for a big theological term. Six letters starts with letter R. Repent. Thank you. <laughs> Repent. You see? So, you, you, yeah, yeah, you're going to need the strength, but you don't. You see, if you do strength first, you're, it's not God's will, it's your will. But God always says, Repent. It always starts with repentance. Repentance is a result of sin. We don't like to, to talk about that. I mean, I'll talk about Linda's sin a lot. But, you know, don't, don't, don't be talking about my sin, you know, right? Isn't that the way we do it? Right? So when confronted with your own sin, that means repentance. I see the need to repent. And so, you know, the, the Old Testament is, is just awesome at, at, at showing this. How an individual repents and how a whole nation repents. A whole nation? Millions and millions of people all looking at each other and say, man, did we sin big time. Admitting that. And then turning around and asking God for forgiveness. Really? That can happen? Only happened a couple dozen times in the Old Testament because the Israelites really messed this up big time, <laughs> right? Just that's a cycle. You know, repent, screw up, repent, screw up, repent, screw up. We just do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Time after time after time. So the repenting part is necessary when we have not taken into consideration thy will be done. That's probably the biggest issue that God has with us. When we want to be like these guys and extort and manipulate God to do our will rather than coming to God and, and asking. So they should have come after that first battle. Realized, wow, we, we got our socks knocked off there. It must be because we're doing something wrong in the eyes of God and maybe we have you know, gone our own way and done our own thing let's repent and all come back to God that would have been perfect God would have honored that and then somebody would have been smart enough to pray and say Lord what do you want us to do and then they all would have heard God say pick up the ark <laughs> and carry my holy self into battle and watch what I do for you. That's how God talks. Um, that would have been awesome. That would, that's what should have happened. 
That's what when we see it in the Old Testament, especially when that does happen, we see God rise to the challenge and just do all kinds of incredible stuff. But these people still were doing their own thing. They weren't willing to repent. They just decided among themselves, this is a great plan. We'll force God to do what we want. And God says, I'm not having any part of it. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In their own eyes. I've got to plaster that all over the walls. That's <laughs> our, our hallmark statement. So, after the first battle, they should have repented. Next big question. What should they have done after the second devastating battle? Thank you. <laughs> if you don't get it right the first time, then by all means get it right the second time. Right? And that shows, again, our understanding of God. And we're, we're going to see that in chapter 5. Is I mean, God is incredibly patient. He's incredibly merciful. When we finally get it, he just drops, drops his anger or whatever, his wrath or whatever it is. You know, the curse. You know, just all the tumors and everything else. It's like, yeah, tumors? Holy cow. Uh, yeah, it just It's amazing. You know, God, okay. Thank you. You get it. Let's get together again and have a nice meal together. Hey, that's, that's who God is. But as long as we are you know, obstinate and defiant and, 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 and denying and, and, and disobeying and all those yucky terms, God says, have at it. I'm not going to force you to do anything. You would like to think. This was thousands of years ago, but like I say, you know, the parallels to this age and the current day is just staggering to me. I mean, the exact same things are are happening all over. It's not the first time in 3,500 years this has happened, but we are in another one of those cycles, another one of those those periods. So the point is, as long as you're sucking air, you got a chance to repent. Don't miss the opportunity. Now that's humbling. That means that you're admitting that God your way is better than mine. <laughs> Perish the thought. Right? But it's either God's way or your way. Pure and simple. You're either going to go your own way or do your thing, or you're going to do God's, God's way. I can't make it any more clear than that. Two choices. <coughs> there it is. See, uh, probably the biggest mistake the Israelites made was they assumed God was on their side. See the arrogance of, of this whole process? Well, just pick him up and carry him into battle. Surely he will, he will honor us and bless us because we're his people. Doesn't work that way. Now, the end result of all this battles and the loss of the ark is Eli's sons die and Eli dies. Eli's 98. <laughs> well, we'll give him that, right? But notice what the writer makes clear. It is not the death of his two sons that Eli violently reacts to. It is the loss of the ark. I think that's significant. You know, I think like, like, like Brian is saying, you know, that you don't know what you have until, until you don't have it anymore. You know, when they lost that, they were, all those memories came back and it just, oh my gosh, this is, 
this is God. We lost God. They didn't care about him before, but I think they're kind of willing to care about him now, but he's, he's, he's gone now. The second he hears that news, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken, and he died. Yep. Bones are brittle. What do you want? <laughs> but, but that's the end of his story. I mean, which is incredibly anticlimactic. I mean, you see great men and women of God, you know, going out in a blaze of glory or this or that or the other thing, but, yeah, just, just, just yeah, back, back, backward flip, break your neck and die. That's, yeah, it'll be on YouTube for a little while and that'll be it, you know, it's just, what are you saying, Joseph? Just fell off his chair. Yeah, just, it's a rocking chair, I guess. So, the more powerful part of this, and much more time is spent on the birth of the grandson, you notice that? I mean, yeah, in one verse, he fell off his chair and he died. Bye-bye, Eli. Now let's talk about the next generation. Do you notice the name? Ichabod. What uh, famous classic writing? Ichabod Crane, right? So you see the definition of that name? Does that not fit the play? Ichabod, right? The Ichabod Crane. See? Genius. Why he picked that, that name. The glory has departed from Israel is what that name means. So again, you know, I mean, now lost, they realize what has been lost. Unfortunately, they didn't realize it until it was lost. Up to this point, for several generations... Again, the word of the Lord was rare. Remember how this chapter started? And the visions were even rare. Right? So the glory of God was not part of this culture. They couldn't care less about God. Remember, they're doing their own thing. But now with the loss of the ark, they finally realize it. So I, I believe this to be further evidence of Romans 1. Thank you. Right? That we do know the truth. And we simply choose to suppress it. But suppress something can be unsuppressed. We can bring that back up. And so this was a real light bulb moment for these people. Fortunately, a little too late. But they did get it. For generations, we have suppressed the truth. And no one even remembered anything until this revelation came to us. And then they finally get it. But did you note that the name Ichabod, the definition of the name Ichabod, is printed twice for you? Right? Verse 21 and 22. Now, for a writer to do that, saying this is really important, saying the same thing two verses in a row, really important. The glory of the Lord really wasn't lost. But you see, their understanding of it was that it's lost. But when we get to chapter 5, we're going to see 
how magically it comes back. <laughs> but only when the people repent. Now, could, could, could you imagine that, that wave going, 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 going through America? We'll just start here in the East Coast because we're on the East Coast. Now, we decide that we, we are going to repent and we're going we're to lead a charge of repentance in this country. And we're not going to go to stage two or stage three. It starts with the repentance. You're not getting anywhere with God until you repent. We studied Revelation a long time ago, but all seven letters to the seven churches. Number seven means all, so all churches need these letters. But the prescription to every one of them. Jesus says, you know, you're doing us really good. There's one church that wasn't doing anything good. <laughs> but the prescription for every one of those churches was repent. Unless you repent, I will take the lampstand from your midst. What does the lamp do? Light. light. Who is the light of the world? It's like you're in a jam program now. Right? So, <laughs> this is what we teach them. Right? So, Jesus says, I will remove my presence from you unless you repent. So that's the end. Remember how it began? The first word out of Jesus' mouth. It's the same word from the mouth of John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. So repenting are the bookends <laughs> of the story of Jesus. The first and the last. Do you think maybe repentance is important? Give yourself a little whiplash shaking your head affirmatively on that. Serious? I mean, it just, it, it's so important. But again, we want it to be the way we want it. So we don't like the word repentance because repentance means I, 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 I've sinned and I don't want anybody to know I sinned and I don't want to even look at it myself. So I'm going to do something else. Right? I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing and all that kind of stuff. But as soon as we choose to do that, we're on a real slippery slope. And the more of us who do that, then that becomes a cultural thing. See, yeah, one, or, one or two people in a nation with 300 million people, that's not a big deal. Sorry, we make fun of California, that, that whole state is just a bunch of whack, even if the whole state of California are a bunch of whack jobs, right? 49 other states, if we get our act together, we can, you know, our voice would be much louder than theirs and they're not getting anywhere. But the same goes the other way. As soon as one of us decides to, to suppress the truth and kind of back off of, of, of these basic beliefs, this year, and then a little bit more the next year, and then we start teaching our children to do the same, and it's it just, it's real slow, it's insipid, but it continues to go downhill. And if this is the way they wound up, again, I will say, I can see some strong similarities to our day today that we are on that slippery slope. So the only way to bring that back is to be a Samuel. To be one voice in a nation of millions. The odds are astronomical. I would not have bet on Samuel. That can't possibly happen. But it does.
It always has. When one person is willing to stand up. There goes chapter four. A fun and exciting chapter. Do you have any ongoing thoughts, questions, verses in particular that you just found so meaningful you would like us to look at again? Well, there you go. Chapter 5. Now, this is a big story, so we're just going to look at a few few segments of this. But in the first eight verses, you know, this whole story of Dagon, kind of sounds like a, he's a pesticide. Dagon kills bugs. Um, I just made that up. So, these Philistines, now, believe in this God, Dagon. Yeah, he's, he's just a dead man. Yeah, we're going we're to boo the Philistines. We've got to boo Dagon as well, right? Boo. Uh, so, but now they bring the ark, the presence of God, into their midst. And some really interesting things happen. Now, they, they, know, they know what's happening. No one's saying, oh, that was just a coincidence that, that our God fell over two days in a row and busted his head in his hands. Yeah. Nobody's saying that. They know what is happening. But my big question for you is, again, they, they see this much better than the Israelites. Much better. It is clear in their minds what is happening. The symbolism here of, of, of all of that was not lost on them, trust me. The question is, why didn't the Philistines leave Dagon and follow God? Answer number one, they're, they're stupid. We'll see how stupid here shortly. So, yes, okay, so, but stupid's a broad term, let's specify a little bit more. Ah. Their own God, they kind of that's insightful, right? It goes goes with what Andy was saying about the you know the the control factor. See, that's really what it is. You know, when we say when we're talking will, God's will or my will, it's that's the internal issue. There is is control. Who's in control here? Me or God? So yeah, I'm, I'm sure to a degree there was. Well, this guy's way too strong. At, you know, I like Dagon. Thank you. <laughs> see, see, Brian, the lone voice. See how powerful that is? <laughs> that, you know, can change their minds, but they decide, no, we're going to stick with our own God. What, what other reasons can you think of why, why they still won't believe in God? Proud? Okay. Sure, pride, pride's a part of it. What, what, what are they proud of? Themselves. Okay, look what we created. And their victory? Pardon me? Proud of victory and the fact that they did. Right, so we, we accomplished both those victories without this God. Yes. 
So that's what pride does. We're proud of our own accomplishments. Again, it's, it's a denial of God, and we're, we're taking credit for what exclusively is God's alone. That's, the, that's why pride is such a, such a sin. Go ahead. We beat the Israelites, and we uh, stole their God, too. Yeah. So Checkmate. Yeah. But you're asking a whole nation to give up what they believe. Yeah, that yeah, have, have, have gr gr grown up believing this. This is all, this is all, all we know. But still, there are some Old Testament stories where entire nations did that. I mean, overnight. Um, case in point is uh, the Emperor Constantine, for which the Turkey capital used to be called, it's gone through three or four different name changes, but originally it was called Constantinople. No, actually it was originally Byzantium. Yeah. Yes, Byzantium, Constantinople, uh, Istanbul, is it still called Istanbul? They keep changing the names of countries and names. I, I, can't, I gave up a long time ago. Uh, but yeah, there's been three, three or four iterations of that. But the Emperor Constantine uh, represented the Roman anti-Jesus government. They were still persecuting Christians like crazy. This is several hundred years after the fact. And Constantine is leading his troops into battle one morning. And they're on the plane... And looking out at the sky as, it's, as the sun's coming up, and in the sky was a distinct cross shape. And then, I mean, you can look at clouds for a long time, but you're not going to see this much the same as you put, you know, a million monkeys in front of typewriters, and they're not, not going to type war and peace. Uh, so this could never ever happen unless God had His hand in it. A cross, okay, that could happen, but underneath, in Latin, the words conquer with this sign. Hmm. You know what Constantine did? Yeah, we're going to do that. <laughs> so, right there on the plane before they went into battle that day, they, they found a river, took all those thousands of soldiers in there, and baptized every one of them. A 180 degree ring. We're killing you today, like Paul. We're killing you today, now. So, Christianity was an outlawed religion. We will kill you if we find you. One day. The next day, you must be Christian. <laughs> right? So, I mean, and that happened a number of times in the Old Testament as well. So it, it can happen. It sounds ridiculous, but it can and does, does happen. It's, it's pretty, pretty bizarre stuff. But now, look, verse 8 in particular just, just makes me laugh and laugh and laugh. I like verse 8 a lot. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, hey, the ark of the God of Israel moved to Gath. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> just take them somewhere. We're all dying here. Take this pox somewhere else. <laughs> and you'll never guess what happened. The same thing happened. You know what they do from Gath? Take it somewhere else. <laughs> just we don't want it. These guys are not that bright. I'm telling you, it just you know. And a lot of time passes. Seven months. It takes them seven months to figure this out. Now, if we were all pretty healthy today, and we wake up tomorrow with the you know, tumors, and so I, they didn't have X-rays back then. So when they're talking tumors, 
They're talking visible gross all over your body. Blah! Right? And people are just dropping dead left and right. Again, I will say they knew what they were dealing with. They knew enough to equate that, that terrible thing happening with this artifact that we stole from, from the Israelites. Yeah, I mean, and it, it obviously seems like they, like you said before, they know more about what's going on than what the Israelites do. I mean, because they don't even say, oh, let's take this God back. They say, what should we do this about this art of the God of Israel? Yes. It's not like, this is the God. Yeah. They See, know that this is just a symbol. And the Israelites don't. They really had a, had a pretty good, healthy understanding of this. They yep. weren't struck down for touching the ark. Like the Hebrews. Right. Were. Because, again, they didn't know. And, again, that that's an understanding of God. See, God doesn't hold us accountable for what we don't know. But, by the same token, we know a lot more than we think we know. <laughs> so we can't use ignorance as an excuse very often. God's kind of big on that. So, one city, death, and the people living have huge growths out of their neck and in their stomachs and just all this blah, right? So let's move it to another city. People of Gath, they're, they're, they're pretty cool. <laughs> this God will like them. Nope. <laughs> Same result. And then a third city. So seven months of this death and destruction. Unparalleled in human history. <laughs> And it takes them seven months to figure this out. These guys aren't too bright. Now, the outcome of all this is that it demonstrates that the Israelites do not understand how God works. They thought God is a magic wand. But it also reveals that the Philistines do believe that God is powerful. But nonetheless, they thought not as powerful, inferior to Dagon. Because yes, they're going back to that those battles. It wasn't this God who helped us win this these battles. It was boo Dagon, right? So they're still not willing to elevate God to His rightful place. And the Philistines just can't understand why this God did not defend his people. They're a little troubled by that. Well, you would be with your understanding of you know, the supernatural and all of that, you know, the magic and everything that you know, was in these pagan religions. Um, you, would, you would think that way. So let's talk a bit about the importance of understanding the true nature of God rather than expecting God to fit into the mold that we want him to fit into. Question. What is the result of not understanding the true nature of God? What, what happens to a person who doesn't understand the true nature of God? He's doomed. Why? Has not the, there's nothing to save him. Okay, so... He's completely lost. Made a choice to go, go a different direction. Okay. What else happens when we don't have a true understanding of God? General confusion. Okay, the Bible talks about that. Uh, Tower of Babel is a real good example. Is, is, is that not the premise behind the Tower of Babel? 
all of those people decided, we don't need God, we will build a tower to God, we will take over the kingdom, <laughs> and we will rule from there. Does that sound anywhere similar to the Roman and Greek gods? Zeus and Apollo and all those guys? Wow, right? That's, that's what happens. But instead, God confused them, changed all their language, and that's what we got even to this day. So what else happens as a result of a lack of a true understanding of God? So if you're not receiving a blessing from God, what are you getting? Curse. That's what it says. In the passage I used last week with you know the sternness of God and eventual cutting off from God. Now that's that's what it means. Uh, but a, a lot of the curse is just allowing us to do our own thing. You ever notice how bad life is when you you're in charge of yourself? <laughs> It just doesn't doesn't work out real well. So without a real understanding of who God is. Now again, I cannot stress this enough. This is not the way you want God to be. And, And my goal with you tonight is to knock that out of your head. I got a ball bat. I'm willing to come by and smack every every last one of you because I love you, right? And we've got to get that out of our heads. This is not a God the way we want God to be, because otherwise we're going to create Dagon or Baal or any of those other big Old Testament gods that were just comically fake, but the priest and everybody still still believed in them. You know, that great story in the Old Testament where you know the challenge goes down to, to Baal and the prophet comes and you know they get to stack up the wood and everything and and and, and the, the he lets the other guys go first and you know, the 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 priest for, for Baal you know, they're hoarse. They start at six o'clock in the morning. By noon they can't speak because they're crying out to this guy, you know, Baal, you know, bring fire down and do this and you know, and they just start he lets it go to six o'clock at night, twelve hours of this screaming and yelling and just and yeah, 601, you know, the prophet just, you ready, God? Okay, go. And, and, and this fire comes down. And, you know, he's like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna make it even more difficult. Let's let's douse it in a ton of water and just waterlog all this wood and everything and see what happens. And the fire came down, and all those dumb priests that have been yelling, screaming all day, the fire was so in, in, intense it incinerated all of them too. So not only the fire, but yeah, but everybody in the close proximity, yeah, we're just gonna wipe you all out. The prophet was smart enough to know that he stood pretty far off the side, right? But you know, just there's tons and tons of stories like that. That you know, these these false gods, and again, I'm saying that we can easily create our own false god. That's how all these religions start. One person says, "This is how I want God to be," Tom Cruise. Uh, uh, <laughs> and. That's what every religion is. It's based on this is what I want it to be. I'm still trying to figure out Hindu with some 36,000 gods. You get to pick pick which ones you like. Boy, there's a smorgasbord for you. Um, oh, and adding more every day. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yeah, there's a couple big ones that you 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 should follow. You know, you got that funny looking elephant. You know, you got to have that one and you know, a couple others. But yeah, other than that, you get to just choose one from column A, one from column B. Yeah, just have a good time because some people like it that way. I want so many gods to cover every aspect of my life. I mean, you know, praying to saints, is that not what you're doing? I mean, there's patron saints to virtually every day. There's a patron saint of chimney sweeps. That's pretty cool, right? You, you just create things. You just, this is the way I want it to be. Therefore, I decree it so. So let it be written. So let it be done. That's how it happens. It's so easy. And unfortunately, it's kind of our nature to do that. Apparently, looking at the pages of history, it's the way we are. Our natural tendency is to be this way. So that's why the beauty of the New Testament is reminding us that this is the way you're probably going to want to be, but don't. You can choose not to do this. You don't have to be that way. You can be this way, the right way. You can choose that for yourself. Please choose it. Because otherwise, you got big tumors growing out of your forehead. It is no fun. Now, I just asked you what happens when a person doesn't understand God. Let me expand it. What happens to a nation that does not understand God? The true nature of God. Say again? Yep. And we see that time after time after time over the pages of history. We'll either receive the blessing of God or the curse. Again, God is very magnanimous, merciful, and all those wonderful terms. But God has a limit. And when we cross the line, like you did to Eli, thanks for playing our game. I'm going in a different direction. That's the true nature of God. So we have to keep ourselves from believing that just because we are Americans that God is on our side. You hear that a lot. If God is on our side, it's because the individuals and the nation as a whole are about the will of God. Not just because we're Americans. These Israelites got nothing because of their birthright. You and I get nothing because of our birthright either. But we get blessing upon blessing for our individual and corporate choices made to God. Because you can see it a thousand times here in the Old Testament that God has no problem with allowing a person or an entire nation be defeated when we reject God's leadership. See, it's one thing to never have had God leading you. There's a lot of nations around the world that have no idea who God is. God is real sensitive to, I used to believe in you, but now I choose not to. That's what irritates God more than anything. And that's why we need to be looking at 
America. China, they've never been there. India, they've never been there. Right there's half the world's people. Right? They have no understanding of this. But when you had it and you suppress it, you exchange the truth for a lie, that's when the hair in the back of God's neck starts standing up. Go ahead, Gary. That's been happening a lot lately here in America. We've been built on that. We've been a Christian nation many years, but now people are trying, there's a few people that are trying to suppress it and trying to uh, get rid of us Christians, you know? Yep. And unfortunately, many Christians are saying, okay, it's not that important. I was just kidding. <laughs> Um, yeah, so th this is going to become, I mean, if this is the way these people are, now I'd like to think that, since you're my favorite group, that all of us would be willing to sign documents saying I will always believe in Jesus if they're, even if they're holding a gun to my head. Um, I'd like to think that. Really would. So let's say there is us as a remnant, but literally there will come a day when like the story I've told you about before in Nazi Germany when the soldiers break into a, a group of Christians and give you an opportunity. If you're willing to renounce Jesus, go ahead and leave now. If you stay, we're going to kill every, every one of you. And some of them did get up and leave. Happened last week. I was just going to say, yeah. It's happened yeah. last week. Yep. Are you a Christian? Yep. Stand up if you're a Christian. Bang. Shut up. See how history's coming back again? Right? That was just World War II. But then the beauty of it is, it's a true story, that the soldiers then got on their knees with the Christians who were on their knees already praying. Not to be saved. But the soldiers then interrupted those Christians praying and said, now we know who the real Christians are. Would you... Teach us about this Jesus. Right? That could happen. Well, they could blow your brains out. It's win-win anyway you look at it. That's what Paul says. Whether I live, whether I die, that's inconsequential. If I live, I get to keep sharing Jesus. That's a win. If I die, I get to go hang out with Jesus. That's a win. Anyway you look at it. There's your joy. Right? That's the biblical definition of joy. Now, it's not just occasionally. That's like every day. But if you go from joy to joy to joy, pretty soon you'll be known as a joyful person. Regardless of all the nonsense that's going on around me, I still got Jesus. Kill me, I still got Jesus. Can't take that away from me. Nothing in this world can separate us from the love of Christ unless you let it. And if you do, what are you going to do, Jay? Repent. Thank you. Right? And there's Jesus with open arms. And there's a good place to stop for the night. <laughs>